The following episode contains graphic descriptions of violent acts. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am Sarah. My co-host today is Darcy. Say hi, Darcy. Hey, what's up, guys? We are a slightly funny duo that enjoys talking about strange stuff, crazy cases, and things that make you say, hmm, that was so fascinating. Um, If it's weird, wild, bizarre, and provocative, we're going to talk about it on this podcast. Today's show is very interesting. We promised you guys a few weeks ago that we would delve more into this topic and do a part two to our Neil Falls episode that we did are uh, the murder of Ingrid, Lynn, and Neil Falls, the suspected serial killer episode, and we are going to do that for you today. Darcy, what are you starting us out with? So we're going to talk a little bit at first about the FBI Highway Serial Killings Initiative. So, um, so just before we get started, ladies and gentlemen, we are not really doing much of an introduction on this today because we've got a jam-packed show for you guys with tons of information today. So we apologize if we're not doing a lot of small talk, but we've got some really cool stuff for you. So let's get right to it. Yeah. So uh, in 2004, um, an analyst from the Oklahoma Bureau of Investigation noticed a pattern of murdered women being dumped along the I-40 corridor in Oklahoma Texas, Arkansas, and Mississippi. So the analyst and a police colleague from Texas referred these cases to the FBI's VICAP, and that stands for the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. Uh, And they looked into it and discovered that there were similar patterns of highway killings across the country. So in response, the FBI launched this Highway Serial Killings Initiative to raise awareness among law enforcement agencies and the general public about this issue and the FBI's unique assistance on these cases. So some information from their findings. The victims are primarily women in high-risk transient lifestyles, often including substance abuse and sex work. They are frequently picked up at truck stops or service stations, and they're sexually assaulted, murdered, and subsequently dumped along a highway. That is so scary. And Yeah, and the suspects are predominantly long-haul truck drivers, and the mobile nature of the suspects results in the involvement of, you know, multiple jurisdictions, and there's usually a lack of witnesses or forensic evidence, which makes the cases difficult to solve. So a long-haul truck driver could basically pick up a sex worker at a truck stop in Georgia, and then they could, you know, rape and murder her and then dump her body on the side of the road in Florida later that same day. But because the victim has no connection to the area where she was found, sometimes it's even difficult for them to be identified at all because it's right. not like they're reported missing in that area. And then what makes it even more challenging is when you're moving bodies around during, after, or before a murder, you kind of break the the sort of security of the evidence so like there's much more chance that fingerprints or dna evidence will get either destroyed eviscerated or ruined when that person is moving that body um, via the truck or whatever means that they're doing um, to to put those bodies in the spots where they're ending up landing right and that's kind of a risk anytime you discover remains in a different place from 
the location of the crime, right? Like, That's so why they say never so touch usually, the crime scene. If you come across a crime, leave it so the police can catalog the evidence, take pictures. Um, it makes it so much easier for the law enforcement agencies to get in there and try to figure out what happened and who did it and to get clean samples when the scene has not been disturbed. When you have an instance like this, the truck driver is disturbing the hell out of that scene. And it is hard enough to find clean evidence as it is without adding that element into it, which makes these incredibly hard to solve in some instances. Right. And so what the VICAP system is, is it's basically a database that contains information on homicides, sexual assaults, missing persons, and unidentified remains. And it's available to law enforcement agencies throughout the country. The so this is kind of an interconnected with- computer system that deals with violent crime. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. So basically, if you have a case, uh, you put in the information in this VICAP program, like a local law enforcement agency would input this information, and then it'll search that database for other locations across the country where there are similar uh, characteristics of that that crime. Oh, that's excellent. Maybe you could find a serial killer or something like that. By connecting the dots. The problem is, right, the only problem is it's not mandatory. So to enter evidence of, into VICAP. Right. So okay. you have all of these local law enforcement agencies that may or may not use it. And that's kind of where the, the problem comes in with VICAP is it's just it's just not mandatory. It's a great resource. But I, th- I do think the majority of law enforcement agencies do use it. But it's, but you have maybe small town agencies that don't use it or something like that. And, and, and then you have some crimes that can go unnoticed like this, some patterns like that. Right. So – as of 2016, the VICAP analysts on this initiative have compiled a list of more than 750 murder victims found along or near U.S. highways and as many as 450 potential suspects. Wow. The analysts have also developed uh, detailed timelines of the suspects, and these can come from company logs, gas station receipts, and other records which then they use this to pinpoint where a suspect was when murders were committed. And then they can take this information and give it to local law enforcement agencies so that they can tell them maybe what advice to, what uh, records to subpoena. And they can suggest, you know, maybe some other local law enforcement agencies around the country that they can contact that have similar cases like that. That is bizarre. Can you imagine, so, you know, what what did we do before we had VICAP and before we had these agencies yeah. that were looking at patterns nationally? It just must have been a shit show. Yeah, and there there's a map that has kind of – it's just a map of the United States of the highway system, and it's got red dots where they found victims and things like that. And it is terrifying. We'll put that up on the Instagram and in the show notes and things like that. It's, it's really scary how pervasive this problem is. Okay. And Have you pay- taken a trip in your car cross-country on, like, a, fr- a highway, like one of those highways that stretches from coast to coast? <clears throat> uh, I didn't do the whole trip on a highway, but, yeah, when I moved from California to Kentucky – yeah, I, I drove across the country like that, yeah. Did you feel at any point like you were unsafe? I was very careful to not stop at truck stops because, I mean, even before I knew about this, I kind of, you know, you kind of already know that that stuff. Uh, and, Granted, and I, they're mostly, you know, they said that these people mostly target transients and sex workers and people with drug issues or whatever. So you don't necessarily fit into that description. But at the same time, I've taken cross country trips and I have felt yeah. just like this is a, it's scary when you're a single woman by yourself out there. Yeah, for sure. And I was very cognizant of where I stopped. Like, that's just the thing you have to ha- have to do. And I, I did have my dog. 
So I probably wasn't like exactly a high target. Yeah. Because my dog was um, a protective dog, you know. But I, I, before I left, I planned everywhere where I was going to spend the night and things like that. And then there was one time when I was driving across Kansas because – no offense if we have any listeners in Kansas. It is the most boring state to drive across. I stopped <laughs> more nothing driving to see. <laughs> west to east in Kansas than I did on any other leg of my trip. I think I stopped three times in that state just because I was falling asleep. It's literally just flat cornfield. And yeah. they, have to, they make you pay a fucking toll to leave the state yeah. on the freeway. Yeah. The, I think it was I-40, actually. And I was like, what the fuck? I have to pay to get out of your goddamn state. <laughs> pay to, to leave your annoying state. Yes. What was the cost, you remember? I don't remember. It's just a couple bucks or something like that. But it was still, of it. it's <laughs> insult to injury. Yeah. You just bored me with like I, 14 hours of cornfields, and now you I want me know. to pay you to leave this shit? That was the only time I did stop at a rest stop because I was falling asleep and, and I needed to let my dog like go to the bathroom or something like that. But, but it was in the middle of the day and things like that. And then I didn't, I definitely didn't go to the bathroom or anything like that. I didn't go inside the truck stop. I just kind of woke up and, and let my dog go to the bathroom and then we got back in the car. But yeah, that was, that was the only time, but it's, it's something that if you're going to drive across the country, you definitely have to think about and take this into consideration. Oh Yeah. And, and you want to take the, steps and precautions not to make yourself an easy victim either. Don't be on your phone. Don't be texting. Don't right. be distracted. Keep your wits about you. Plan well. And and if you can, don't take this alone or go into restrooms by yourself because it can be right. a dangerous situation in some places. And don't have like your headphones in and stuff like that. Exactly. Um, It makes you look like you're busy or something, but it's really just a distraction. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about that with murder murderers choosing victims because they looked distracted. They were either on their phones Mm -hmm. or they looked like they weren't really paying attention to what was going on around them. And they looked like an easy target. So don't be an easy target. (laughs) And I will say the other thing is I do... uh, carry a a rather large knife not like on my person at all times but I had it in my car and like yeah so a knife yeah a pretty a pretty good size knife (laughs) (laughs) I would have never thought (laughs) I have a taser I'm like I'm not fucking around I will tase the shit out of somebody if they get in my space tasers are legal everywhere though I don't care like they probably are in California, but I don't think they're, but anyways, I'd just be so, like, whoops, I didn't know. <laughs> uh-oh, I saved my life. Arrest me. <laughs> right. So, according to this, I was actually on the FBI's BICAP website when I was doing this research. And according to, Oh my God, I thought you were saying you were mentioned as somebody to watch. Yeah. yeah. Because my you name carry is, a it knife. It came up. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. My name came up on like a search or whatever. I'm like the, it's like it the was, government wa- no fly list. You're on like the VICAP watch list. Cause you carry a big knife in your car. <laughs> and you've been known I to travel across the interstate. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I have a story that I'm debating whether or not I should tell. Okay. I will tell it, but I won't tell you the exact location. So I took a trip with my mom and stepdad many, many summers ago, probably about 10 now. And we drove up, but I had to be back home earlier than they did. So I was going to fly back Mm -hmm. and I get through security and I'm sitting in the airport, like at my gate and I get my reach to the bottom of my purse and I was going to like text my friend or whatever. And I'm reaching, digging in the bottom of my purse and at the bottom of my purse, guess what I found? A knife. A knife. Was like it yours? Knife. Was it yours? Yes. Because we drove up. So, so I didn't even think about it. You were at the airport? 
I was through security. And they didn't find the fucking knife. They didn't find the knife? Not Yeah, so they didn't find it. But also, thank God I wasn't arrested and charged with terrorism because... What did you do? Did you Jesus just continue Christ. to fly or did you go chuck it? No, no, no. I, I continued to fly, but I like got my phone and I was terrified because I was, I was, immediately that's something obviously you want to tell somebody because you're like, holy shit, what the fuck? But I was afraid to text my friend because I was like, they're going to read my text messages. Oh, my God. And they're going to know I have this knife. But, yeah, so I flew back. But then I was like, ooh, what if something happens? And I have this knife and I'm prepared. But I'm also not the kind of person I can get the terrorists on the plane. Like that. (laughs) (laughs) I can run across the aisle and tackle them with my knife. (laughs) Why do you have this knife? Uh, I don't worry about that. Why don't we? Why don't we not worry about that? But anyway, I was not on the FBI's website as... So you definitely were on the no-fly list. (laughs) I am not on the no-fly list. They did not catch it. So I don't know how how that makes us feel about TSA. But How how long ago was that? That was like 10 years ago, though, right? Yeah, about 2010, 2011. So post-9-11, and they still didn't find that shit. For sure, for sure. Crazy. And it 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 was a butterfly knife, like one of those flippy ones from Kick-Ass. They're probably like, oh, this was, it's a toothbrush. <laughs> it's definitely a toothbrush. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's a paperweight. You, you, if you were to look at it, you'd be like, oh, that's a fucking knife. Okay. Oh my God. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, that always anyway. cracks me up because I think those people like, number one, they, they get paid not very much, I heard. Right. And number two, like, I don't think they fucking care most of the time because I've gone through where... 10 times I've flown and they've never found something in my bag. And then all of a sudden on the 11th time, somebody's like, oh shit, you have a full bottle of water in here. Uh huh. Why are you traveling with a full bottle of water? You're not supposed to take that in the airport or you've got yeah. a, you know, a full size container of rubbing alcohol. You shouldn't have that. And it's like, well, I just flew 10 yeah. fucking times and no one found it. Yeah. Or like my but little keychain thing with the cat the ears. Oh yeah. I flown with that too. And then they found it on the last flight and took it. Oh, that sucks. I like that little guy. But anyway, have you ever, do you follow the TSA, uh, Instagram? No. Should I? Yeah, it's pretty cool. They post a lot of times like the things that they do catch. And so I will say thank you for your service because a lot of the shit that they catch is horrifying. Well, some of them are actually doing their jobs properly, but I think the vast majority of them are freaking scary, unattentive. I think that's, yeah. That's a pretty, that's a pretty tough job. And wow. They only have like, they don't even have a million followers. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, everybody go follow the TSA uh, Instagram. It's really interesting. And sometimes they make puns and that's always fun. I love a good pun. Yeah. Interesting. But anyway, let's get back on topic. So the FBI website that I was browsing and doing my research. Okay. Hang on. Hang on one second. Just before we move on, I just saw they have... A picture some idiot took a bag of moose feces that they were taking Ew. home from an Alaskan adventure. They they packed a bag of moose shit, moose droppings, moose pellets, and they obviously seized it. But he was like, hey, we're taking this. They took it at the Juneau International Airport. He had wait, it wait, in wait. his carry-on bag. There's so many questions. Number one, why obviously did they seize it? <laughs> like you said that, like, of course they seized it. Yeah gross he had it in his fucking carry-on bag a bag of shit why why would you why would you have it in the first place but also when you said like of course they seized it like 
That's disgusting. Because you're not supposed disgusting. to take like well, you're not supposed to take fruits and vegetables from most of the to and from most of those places. So they'll take that away. And I wonder if that just counts as organic matter. So you can't take oh, organic like matter. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Interesting. But why the fuck would you want to bring a bag of moose shit? Maybe he's going to clone a moose. I don't know. Or maybe like <laughs> moose shit is really good fertilizer or I don't know. But these nuggets, go look at the, that's go a, look at the Instagram people. The nuggets are literally like about an inch long and about half an inch wide. Like little, Ew, they look almost uh, like peanuts. I don't care for bathroom talk. We've already had but this anyway. discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> so... The Department of Transportation says that the number of truck drivers in the next 20 years is going to grow exponentially. So, so even more opportunities for crime. we're looking at is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. So that is the, highway, the FBI Highway Serial Killings Initiative. And this program has actually led to the arrest and conviction of a few serial killers already. Well, thank so God they put it in place those. because, like, yeah. can you imagine if we did not have that in place? I mean, that must have taken a lot of work to get that initiative going. But at the same time, and it's probably been, like, instrumental in helping make the roadways a little bit safer. Yeah, and, I mean, that that and that one analyst just happened to notice a pattern. And she wasn't even a federal employee. It, it was an Oklahoma Bureau of Investigation employee. So shout out. And that was, that was majorly huge. So, and, and it led to some arrests and convictions pretty much right away. So in 2007, Bruce Mendenhall was arrested at the TA truck stop in Nashville, Tennessee. He was arrested for the murder of Sarah Halbert, who was murdered on June 26, 2007 at that same truck stop. So after inspecting the truck, there was a large quantity of bloody clothing and identification and personal effects of an Indianapolis woman who'd gone missing the day before. And she was, that was found at the truck in stop a, in his truck. Oh, okay. There, he they kept found, it. Yeah. Okay. So, so it, this Indianapolis woman had gone missing the day before, uh, and she was found in a plastic sack and, uh, there were, oh, I'm not, I'm sorry, scratch this. I need to go back. So after inspecting the truck, a large quantity of bloody clothing and identification and personal effects of a woman from Indianapolis who'd gone missing the day before was found in his truck. So this was found in a plastic sack along with blood spots that scattered around the inside of his cab, on the steering wheel, and on his hands when he was arrested. Shit, he didn't clean up at all. Uh Uh-uh. And so police cataloged over 300 items from the truck. And the DNA of five different women was found oh on these items. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Yeah. And so during questioning, he implicated himself in the shooting death of Sarah Halbert, as well as Samantha Winters. And Samantha Winters' body was found in a trash can at a truck stop in Lebanon, Tennessee. And he was also charged with the murder of Karma Pura, I think is how you pronounce her last name. So DNA tests linked a large quantity of the blood found in his truck to Karma's parents. So this was all before she was found. She was only missing, but the DNA was linked to her parents. And investigators found her cell phone, her ATM card, and the clothing that she wore on the day she disappeared in his truck. So does it say whether these were like regular chicks or were they like sex workers or what was their... They, they, his, his victims were primarily sex workers. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, and her remains were found on the side of the road in Kentucky in 2007. So she went missing in 2000. 
I'm sorry, her, her remains were found in 2011. She went missing in 2007, and her remains weren't found until 2011. So he was also charged in Birmingham, Alabama, with the murder of Lucille Gretna Carter. She was found nude in a trash bin with a plastic bag taped around her head in July 2007, and she had been shot. Surveillance video from a nearby auto shop showed his truck leaving the spot where her body was later found. And he eventually stopped cooperating with police because he probably couldn't stop implicating himself because he, during his interrogation, just implicated himself in all of these murders. But then he stopped cooperating, and investigators believe he was responsible for other murders throughout Georgia, Indiana, Illinois, and Tennessee. Unbelievable. So for those of you who are not really aware um, these long haul truckers will have these trucks with like a, a like a normal truck bed in the front with like a bench seat or or like two seats in the front of the truck to drive with. And then towards the back of the truck, there'll be probably a five by seven, sometimes larger space that's got like a bed type area in it. So these long haul truckers can pull off alongside of the road and sleep in like this kind of bedroom type area towards the back of the front part of the truck. So. These gentlemen, some of them um, that are suspected of committing these roadside murders, would do this, pick up this woman, and then commit these crimes and perpetrate the acts on these women in the back kind of bed area of their trucks. Mm -hmm. And some of them have like a whole setup, like a bed area, and then they have like a little, you know, kitchen area, and they have like a a little bit of separation of space, depending on how big the semi truck is. But I think most of them just have like a little kind of bunk area in the back, similar to the sort of area that you would find in a smaller RV. Yeah. And and if their cargo space is empty, that also is another area where they can kind of set up a little or perpetuate crime. And the thing is, I right. do believe there are several murder suspects who have taken part of the semi truck in the back area and kind of walled it off with an artificial wall and created like a torture chamber in the oh, back God. with various equipment and things to um, perpetuate even further torture on their victims in the back of these semi-trucks. And because they're moving around so much, it is harder and harder to locate some of them. Although, you know, they're now putting all these steps in place to catch these guys, and it is becoming increasingly easier for law enforcement to link cases together and evidence as well. So hopefully they will continue to advance in that so that it makes it a lot harder for these sick fucks to perpetuate these kind of crimes against women. Yeah, for sure. But I know that there are, I wouldn't just say all women, because I know that there are a couple of cases, I don't know if there's so much recently, but there are a couple that involved interstate type crimes with men. Um, and we might have oh, to really? get yeah. into the separate one of that. But I believe there was one in the 80s that they had uh, San Diego victims. Mm-hmm. It was um, LA. And I believe it was two men working together. I know. If the one that that you're talking about, if it's the same one I'm thinking about, I know one of the victims was a Marine from Camp Pendleton. I is this think, the one that took pictures? Is that what you're thinking about? Yeah, it might be the same case. And yeah. granted, this was not a trucker. I don't believe this was a trucker. I think this was just an interstate um, killer who would drive up and down the highways and pick up hitchhikers and things like that and kill them, rape and kill them. Um, and so mm-hmm. I know it's not all women, but it is quite a bit more rare to find male victims um, in comparison to the number of female victims that they are um, linking and finding for these crimes. So um, anything else with Mendenhall? No, that was the end of his story. 
thank God. So he had fewer so he victims. in prison in Tennessee, I believe. So they convicted him for how many murders? They convicted him of just the one of Sarah. Oh, wait, maybe they also convicted him of the one where they found the blood in the car. Uh, they, I know he's in prison in Tennessee. Let me look him up. I did not come prepared with that information. So for those of you out there that are like, okay, so he killed four or five people or he killed three to six people. Why is he only convicted of one crime? In many instances, it is expensive and time. It takes a lot of time to convict or to run a trial for these cases and these murders. So unfortunately, the law enforcement teams and the people that are paying for all this don't want to have to pay for, you know, because a trial can be very, very, very expensive, especially Mm -hmm. like a murder trial can be literally into the millions of dollars. So in the interest of saving time and expense, many times they will take a conviction, especially if they've already got one or two convictions on the person with life or the death penalty in place. They will not prosecute and or try the remaining criminal offenses or murders for that person because they don't want to spend the money to do it. Right. And that's definitely true in death penalty cases, but also in sometimes life doesn't always mean life, you know? Yes. And so they'll kind of hold the hold another case back in a different state to where if for whatever reason the person gets paroled, then they can bring them to another state and charge them there. Correct. And there is no statute of limitations on murder. Um, for those of you who are not um, criminal legal people or have criminal law knowledge, The statute of limitations is basically that time period that starts when the crime happens or when you realize the crime has happened until you are not allowed to bring a case forward with that anymore. So in many instances for rape, for molestation, for cases like that, there's a 10, 15, 20 year statute of limitations which prohibits you from filing a case or pursuing a case against a person after that 10, 15 or 20 year period of time. With respect to murder, there is no statute of limitations. So they can take a murder that happened 40 years ago and prosecute it 60 years later if they want to, which is in fact what is happening with the Golden State Killer case. Very Mm -hmm. interesting. And there are people that are fighting very hard to get statute of limitations changed on many crimes, especially rape and molestation, given the number of cases that have come up in the last decade and even the last couple of years. There is a public outcry outraged by a lot of people who are very, very upset that these people are getting off scot-free because it wasn't discovered or the people were not able to come forward or prove these cases until now. Yes, I'm here. Sorry. So I was trying to find the Wikipedia page is not loading, but so I think that he has maybe four confirmed and he is... Did they suspect him of a whole see. string? Yeah. So they suspected him of more murders in Georgia, Indiana, Illinois, and Tennessee, but he was primarily convicted. He was convicted of the ones the two in Tennessee, the one in Birmingham, Alabama, and the one woman who went missing from Indianapolis. So do they say the suspected, they suspect him of dozens or a couple more, or does it have any indication of how many he may be guilty of? Yeah, it looks like four or five, seven more that are listed. In addition to the ones he already was discovered to have been primarily responsible for. Right. Wow. Scary. Yeah. Very, very scary. Um, We will post some more stuff on Instagram and in the show notes about these particular characters. Um, If you should care to either look at the pictures or see what else and who the victims are and get a little bit more detailed information on them. Anything else you want to add on Mendenhall? That's it. He's just, he's, he is serving a life sentence in Tennessee 
and I don't know what their rules on life are. Like if it's life without, or I don't know what the, what all that is, but life sentence in Tennessee for, for four murders. Wow. Hope he's rotting. <laughs> yep. Um, the second character that we're going to talk about on this sort of road slash trucker themed episode, trucker murderer is Robert Ben Rhodes. Um, this gentleman is a real piece of work. Um, I know that we had very briefly um, mentioned his name in the episode that we did about Neil Falls, but Robert Ben Rhodes, also known as the truck stop killer, is an American serial killer and a rapist. He was actually convicted for three murders and slated to be tried for two more before the charges were dropped due to the wishes of the victim's family. As I mentioned earlier, there are a variety of reasons why law enforcement and or legal authorities will choose not to pursue a case or a trial against a person that is suspected of a murder. Um, and that is one of the reasons if the families, the victim's families push hard to forget about those prosecutions or drop those prosecutions, they will try to as much as possible, um, pay attention to their, um, wants and needs. A lot of times if you have a trial, a lot of dirty shit gets exposed by the defense, um, with respect Mm -hmm. to the victims. And sometimes victims' families are just not prepared and don't want to deal with that BS. And it is really quite a shame, especially in instances. It's been very pervasive in the past where they've taken sex workers and just thrown all their shit out there. And these are victims throwing all their shit out there and just painted them as just these awful, terrible people who do not deserve justice. And it is just very disgusting how the criminal justice system allows that to happen. But it does, in fact, happen. And it still happens today. So in some instances, if there are prosecutions that have stuck for murder before these trials come forward, victims' families will just be like, hey, we're good. We know this guy did it. We don't need to pursue a trial and go have our family's name drug through the mud any further. So that is what happened in the Robert Ben Rhodes case. In this instance, he is additionally suspected of torturing, raping, and killing more than 50 women between the years of 1975 and 1990. This is based on data about his truck routes and women who went missing during those years who met with his profile of preferred victims. At the time he was caught, he claimed to have engaged in these activities for 15 years or more. Mm. The thing with Rhodes, as opposed to a lot of these other killers, Um, that have committed roadside type crimes is he took pictures. He took Polaroid pictures of a lot of these Mm. victims. One of the most famous of these that there are pictures all over the internet on is Regina K. Walters. He took moments, uh, pictures of this woman, literally moments before her murder in an abandoned barn in Illinois. Um, It's just absolutely terrifying. Um, This particular, do we know how they knew that it was just moments before she was murdered? um, I believe that, they figured it out with the clothing she was wearing, the way her hair was, the bruises, the time of death of the body. Mm-hmm. They looked at it and compared to the – they did a very thorough examination with the picture versus the body once they located it and determined that it was very, very close in proximity. Okay. So the fact is in many instances there's not a lot of information out there about some of these bastards that have done this. And we tend to not focus too much information on these guys. Cause I really don't feel like they deserve that much credit or um, acknowledgement, but this gentleman was born in 1945 and it says he was born in council bluffs, Iowa, but they don't really know a lot about how he was raised. Um, his mother 
and father were sort of a military family. His father was a soldier in the U.S. Army. He was stationed in West Germany. His father, when his father was discharged from the military, he found work as a firefighter. By all reliable accounts, his early life was relatively normal, aside from a few unspecified social problems in his younger years. He actively participated in extracurricular activities, involved himself in sports, football, wrestling, choir, and French club. Um, His criminal involvement during high school years was only notable for an arrest at the age of 16 for tampering with a vehicle. That was in 1961. He also got arrested. So he's not really checking any of the boxes for the serial killer. He's not checking the whole bedwetting, head injury, any of those sorts of things. Although he was a football player, so he conceivably could have taken a head injury. It doesn't really like specify or say whether or not that's the case. But um, he also was arrested for publicly fighting at the age of 17 in 1962. After he graduated from high school, he joined the Marine Corps. Uh, During the same year, his father, and this is very interesting, during that same year, his father was arrested for molesting a 12-year-old girl and subsequently committed suicide while awaiting trial. So that's interesting. And it How brings old up, was he during that? Um, it says when he, during that same year, that he graduated high school and got into the Marines. Okay. His father was arrested for that. Oh. In many instances, men that do things like that don't just do it once, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Usually there is a pattern. There are multiple victims. And I wonder if that was indeed what was going on and the father did not want to be discovered and went ahead and committed suicide. It doesn't have a whole lot of information on that. A few years later, Rhodes was dishonorably discharged from the military for his involvement in a robbery. So he's got some criminal past there, some theft, um, some fighting. And then this last one that, that was supposedly in 67 or 68 with a robbery. So after his dishonorable discharge from the Marines sometime in the late 60s, he attended college but dropped out. He later attempted to join law enforcement but was rejected due to his dishonorable discharge from the Marine Corps. So this kind of ticks the box, especially um, uh, the same as Neil Falls, who tried to also get into the the, um, law enforcement and and was unable to do that. Um, During the 1980s – oh, sorry, I've skipped ahead – Um, 70s and 80s, Robert was married three times. He had a son with his first wife and subsequently found work in stores, supermarkets, warehouses, restaurants, and eventually as a long-haul trucker, which is where the majority of his crimes happened. Although it does not specify that he only did it while he was a trucker, he conceivably could have gotten started in some sort of abusive types of situations before he became a long-haul trucker. But during the 80s, he also developed interests and hobbies. Amongst them was the BDSM scene. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it is sort of the um, bondage, sadomasochism, domination. I think it stands for bondage, domination, sadomasochism scene. And masochism. Sadism and masochism. Yes. It's also during this time that he allegedly verbally, physically, and sexually abused his third wife, Deborah Rhodes. So he clearly does not have a whole lot of respect for women. He is interested in dominating and hurting women, which is Mm -hmm. scary. Um, 
He typically preyed on hitchhikers and truck stop sex workers when he started in the 70s. They don't have convictions on crimes for this gentleman in the 70s, but he is suspected of crimes against women during that time. But his first confirmed victims were Candace Walsh and her husband, Douglas Waski, in January 1990. The couple was hitchhiking when Rhodes picked him up in his truck while on a long-haul journey. He immediately killed the boyfriend or the husband, excuse me, and dumped his body in Texas, where it was later found. This gentleman was not identified, though, until 1992. So it took two years for them to identify the remains. The the wife, uh, Candace Walsh, he kept for over a week. During this time, he tortured, raped, and just generally abused this poor woman before dumping her body in Millard County, Utah, after he killed her. So clearly this guy likes to hang on to them for a little bit after he kidnaps them and do some major damage. Um, Almost a month after Walsh's death, which was that the first confirmed victim, not necessarily his first victim, he grabbed an 18-year-old victim who was a drifter who escaped and informed police. And when Rhodes was detained, the victim declined to press charges, feeling that she would not have been believed despite extensive evidence. So in her statement, she basically said, I don't see any good in filing charges. It's just going to be my word against his. If there was any evidence, I would lie. I would file charges and sue him. It was later asserted that she was fearful of Rhodes after enduring two weeks in his truck. So he kept this one for about two weeks. He had Jesus. Con- so according to the evidence and what she described, he had converted the sleeper cab of his truck into his own little personal torture chamber where he kept women for weeks, torturing and raping them. Um, and possibly even longer, they say. About a, a week later, he found 14-year-old Regina K. Walters and her boyfriend, Ricky Lee Jones. This poor girl was 14 fucking years old. These guys were runaways from the Houston suburb, or excuse me, these two were both runaways from Houston suburb of Pasadena, Texas. Much like his first confirmed murder case, Rhodes basically killed the boyfriend almost immediately and kept the girlfriends, um, the girlfriend of this gentleman, Photos seized during a search of Rhodes' home confirmed that he held Walters for a long time based on the degree of hair growth and bruising. Jones' body was found March 3, 1991 in Lamar County, Mississippi. He was not identified until much later, though, um, not until 2008. So that is a long time to not be able to identify somebody. So it's funny because in his... It says that Jones had been charged in absentia with Walter's murder. So they didn't find him till later and he had disappeared and they didn't identify the body because it was in Mississippi. So they actually charged this guy with Regina K. Walter's death, thinking that he had killed her. So in the early morning of April 1st, 1990, Officer Mike Miller of the Arizona Highway Patrol found a truck on the side of I-10 with its hazard lights on. When he investigated inside the cab, he discovered a nude woman handcuffed and screaming. There was also a male present who identified himself as the driver of the truck. After failing to talk his way out of the situation, kind of like Ted Bundy, right? He's like, hey, everything's cool. This is just my girlfriend. We're doing drugs and everything's fine. How do you talk your way out of that situation? We're into BDSM. It's all good. You can leave. Um, And it's scary to think how many times that probably happened. And some of them actually were able to talk their way out of the situation. I know that that's uh, the Dahmer situation. 
right? He had that yeah, young young male victim and he basically told him, oh, it's my boyfriend and he's been doing drugs and yeah. it's okay. I'm just going to take him home and they let him go back. I think that one though was more because it, it was at a time when people were very uncomfortable with homosexuality. Yeah. It's better well, now, but it's still not, you know, hundred percent great. So awful. I think they were just like, ah, oh, whatever. This is just what gay people do. Right. Um, so. So clearly Rhodes was unable to talk his way out of this particular situation. He was arrested at that point and charged with aggravated assault, sexual assault, and unlawful imprisonment. But after further investigation, the arresting um, detectives were able to make a connection to the Houston Houston case and then noticed a pattern stretching over the course of at least five months with this guy. In executing a search warrant of Rhodes' home, police found photos of nude teenagers and this one in particular was Walter's. Her body was found September 1990. So although this guy was arrested and apprehended in April 1990, her body was not found until September. So clearly it took a oh, little wow. while. Um, and these photos, they were kind of able to link them and put the timeline together once they arrested him in April and then found the body. In 1994, Rhodes was convicted of first-degree murder of Regina K. Walters and sentenced to life without parole at the Menard Correctional Center in Chester, Illinois. He was also extradited to Utah in 2005 to be tried for the deaths of Candace Walsh and Douglas Sawalski because they didn't find that gentleman's body until July 2008. Obviously, the trial took a little bit longer to pursue in that case, and because they had convicted the boyfriend that they did not find the body of until 2008, he had been convicted for the earlier crime so they were not able to connect him until a later time when they started looking through all the evidence right. in Rhodes house and kind of linking and putting things together um, however in the accordance with the victim's family's request these charges were dropped the charges for Candace and Douglas were dropped in 2006 and he was returned to prison he was later extradited to Texas for the murder of Walsh and Jones, where in exchange for dropping the death penalty, he pled guilty to their deaths and received a second life sentence. So scary, scary, scary. Um, despite other yeah, convictions, despite other convictions in Texas, he continues serving his life without parole at the Menard Correctional Facility. This case I've always found particularly interesting because I came across the photographs of Regina K. Walters. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they are listed on some sites as, you know, some of the scariest photographs out there. And they put them together in, in a montage of awful, terrifying photographs. But there are pictures of this poor girl and she's wearing a black dress and he has cut her hair and he's made her wear these awful black high heels. She looks like she's going to a funeral, but she's deathly, ghostly pale. Um, yeah. and you can just see the sort of fear in her eyes, but he took a bunch of pictures of the farmhouse around where they found her body. And, um, I'll put the link to that up, um, in the show notes, but I also found this article that was very interesting as well. That's 24 things that you should know, 24 things you need to know about Regina K. Walters, Robert Ben Rhodes, and the most terrifying photograph of all time. So the photograph they're talking about is the one I was just describing where her hair is cut. He's put makeup on her. He's making her wear this awful, you know, very adult-like, she's only 14. He's making her wear this awful yeah. adult-like outfit and sort of pose in a way um, while he's taking her picture. But she was an American woman murdered by the truck stop killer um, who was responsible for over 50 deaths. They believe that he had killed over 50 women during the course of the 70s, 80s, and 90s when he was riding his truck up and down the highways looking for victims. 
He was only convicted of three of those murders and is now serving life without parole. As I mentioned earlier, Regina K. Walters, the victim in the black dress, was his last victim. That's the one that he so thoughtfully took a bunch of pictures of that they could link him even further to this murder. But they said he picked up his sadistic tendencies from his father, who had molested a girl and killed himself before he could be put on trial. And that may also be another reason why his father killed himself. He could have also been into the BDSM, sort of the torture, the very Mm -hmm. abusive sort of a thing. And he did not want that exposed through the course of a trial. So he killed himself, Mm -hmm. which is also very interesting. Rhodes has a son and was married three times. His wives have confirmed that he was abusive during that time, whether it be verbally, emotionally, physically, or sexually. His ex-wife says that he became sexually aroused by seeing her suffer, particularly when she was hospitalized for lupus. It is a very interesting picture of him because we had mentioned earlier that he was involved in the BDSM scene, but he basically became involved in this during the 80s and his wife did not want to participate, but he basically forced her. And his nickname during this time period was Whips and Chains. There's a picture of him. That's a hard pass. (laughs) There's a picture of him with like black leather, like crazy pants on with like a chains and like this cross like the, ugh, he's just so like repulsive i'm gonna post a picture did he of have it. his wonky eye then or did that come later um no he did not have his wonky eye then he just looked like a normal like somebody's dad it's super creepy gross dad i don't know why but i find this picture so disturbing like it's on so many levels at one point he bought his wife a male sex slave whom Ew. she refused to see like hey baby like i think you need to loosen up here's a male sex slave to to pleasure you in concept i think that's kind of an awesome thing <laughs> i'm not gonna lie <laughs> but at the same time really dude Really? Like against your wishes? Yes. She refused to see him. The romantic thing. Yeah. Gross. So fucking gross. So that's more like I watch you have sex with this person. Yeah. Super creepy. Yeah. His victims, Douglas Zykowski and Candace Walsh, were hitchhiking on their honeymoon when he picked them up. So freaking sad. And that was the point where I think they established that he had converted his truck into a torture chamber. So that he could rape and assault this poor girl. When he abducted these, a lot of these women, he cut their hair and shaved their pubic hair before they escaped or before they were killed. Regina K. Walters was the 14-year-old runaway who was traveling with her boyfriend when she was gotten by Rhodes. Attacked, slashed, kidnapped by Rhodes. He killed the boyfriend immediately while holding on to Walters for as long as possible. They do believe that he held on to her for a very long time, possibly quite longer than any of his other victims. And they deducted this based on photos that he took of her in which over a long period of time. So like her hair is different lengths. She's got bruises that have moving around her body. His preferred victims were hitchhikers and sex workers. Although I have to say Walters was not a sex worker. She was a 14-year-old girl that was kind of a runaway who was sort of looking to get from place to place. So because of the fact, though, that most of his victims were these hitchhikers and sex workers, it's really hard for them to know how many victims he actually has. They say that crimes like this are very often underreported by the victims themselves and by their limited support systems. 
as their family may not be accustomed to them checking in every day and can sometimes have no idea for days, weeks, months, or years that this person has gone missing, which makes it hard to identify that the person is gone. So did they have pictures of other victims or was she the only one that he took pictures of? Uh, It doesn't not say anything. The only, it doesn't say anything about that. It just has those are the only pictures that I could find from this. So maybe he just and it, developed this as an interest later on in the case. And maybe they found a whole treasure trove of pictures when they subpoenaed or when they gave, when they issued the warrant to search his home. But they believe that he killed three women for each month he was active. So there's got oh to be God. a significant amount of evidence that they were able to locate out there when they did the search of his home. And possibly they just don't know how to link it to whatever women have been victims of this for the reasons that we just listed above. Right. And it sounds like he had multiple pictures of Regina K. Walters that we have not seen that they didn't make public because you're talking about how her haircut changed and how there's different. So they, they clearly have different evidence that that they haven't released in that too. And that's just, those pictures are horrifying. I can't even begin to understand that. I don't, I mean, can you imagine these are like the last pictures this person, I wonder if she knew she was going to die or if she had hope that he was going to let her go. I mean, maybe he was telling her he was going to let her go. And he was like, if you do this for me, I'll let you go. But there's also some pictures. Like the pictures, it just doesn't look like she, you know what I mean? Like she just looks so terrified. Yeah. And she's deathly pale, like ghostly pale. You can just see it's just, it must've been absolutely just terrifying for her. Um, There are also pictures of her before he cut her hair. I don't know why he cut his victims. Most of them had had their hair cut into a short kind of a pixie type cut. So that in itself is freaking weird. Um, I wonder if it's a dominance thing. Possibly maybe like that's part of his BDSM thing that takes away their identity or weakens them Mm -hmm. or whatever. But in Rhodes's truck, police found murder kit along with whips, chains, cords, dildos, leashes, clips, pins, and fish hooks he used on his victim's genitals. So he also liked to shave their pubic hair in addition to cutting their hair off their head, which is creepy as well. It makes me almost think that that could have something to do with the fact that his father and the 12-year-old girl. So they like the mm-hmm. pre-pubescent w- girls who have not really turned into women yet, which mm-hmm. is just a whole nother level of creepy. What also is very disturbing about this is Rhodes would call Walter's father from payphones along his truck stops and torment him about his missing daughter. And he oh, knew that so this sad. was Rhodes because the caller told the father about cutting his daughter's hair. So he is 72 years old now. Well, this article, I think, was written a while ago. So he's in his mid-70s at this point, serving a life sentence in Menard Correctional Facility. If you want to write him some hate letters, he's there. Yeah, fuck this guy. That's right. awful. So that's pretty much it with respect to Robert Ben Rhodes. Sounds like a sick fuck who had some major, major mental health issues. If you look at pictures of him now, he looks like fucking Popeye the Sailor Man 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a fucked up wonky eye. Yeah. Well, I hope someone soaked his eye out awful, in prison. Awful, awful, awful. I honestly believe that if you perpetuate crimes and do evil things in your life, then you pay for it at some point or another. Whether your body yeah. rots from the inside out or whether you die eventually and, and burn in hell. But I think that eventually it catches up to you. When you do bad things to people, you pay for it at some point, whether in this life or the next. That's so awful. Yeah. Um, so- and then you said you have one more. I do. So we're going to go back to the cases that started this whole thing. 
So there have been some resolutions in a couple of those Oklahoma cases along the I-40 corridor. So John Robert Williams and his girlfriend, Rachel Cumberland, they were a couple that were arrested and charged with some of the murders in Oklahoma. And they're pretty young. I think he was maybe early 30s when they were arrested. Wow. That doesn't fit the the mold. In 2005, they were charged with the murder of Jennifer Hyman, who was last seen at a truck stop in her hometown of Oklahoma City. But the charges were later dismissed because of lack of evidence. Her nude body was found off of a bridge in August of 2003, and she had been strangled. He uh, has also confessed to more than 30 murders, including the murder of Buffy Ray Brawley. She was from Toledo, Ohio. Buffy. Her remains, Buffy, yeah. Her remains were found in March 2004 in a parking lot about 10 miles outside of Indianapolis. She had duct tape over her face, and she had been brutally beaten and strangled. And when investigators asked why her death was so brutal, all he said was she tapped on the cab of the truck. So, like, she was looking for a date, and that's why I murdered her. That was all there was to it. Oh, good lord. So he also, yeah, he also confessed to killing Casey Joe Pipestem, who was last seen alive at a truck stop in her hometown of Oklahoma City. She was murdered and thrown off of the bridge in Texas. So he is currently serving life plus 20 in the state of Mississippi, which is notoriously one of the worst prisons, like the maximum, what is it, what's the shit called, maximum security? Mm -hmm. One of the worst, like Mississippi and Louisiana are like regularly listed as the worst maximum security prisons in the country. So he is in Parchman in Mississippi after pleading guilty to the kidnapping and murder of Nikki Hill. So he and Chapman both confessed to her murder. She, they met Nikki at a casino, and her remains were found in July of 2004 along a Mississippi highway. She had been shot several times. And Cumberland pleaded guilty to manslaughter, and, he received, and she received a 20-year sentence. But from what I can tell, it looks like she was released in 2013 after only serving eight years. And that was the last I could find of her. I don't know where she is, but... He is still in Parchman State Penitentiary in Mississippi. So he's he's um, not living it up in one of the worst prisons you can be in. And they are still looking at him for other murders along the I-40 corridor. And there was actually a show, I think it's on Amazon, it was on Netflix. It's called The Killing Season. And it's kind of, they kind of talk about all the same stuff. It starts about with a Long Island serial killer, and they go into long-haul trucker serial killings. And they actually talk to John Robert Williams on the phone, and he says that – I don't remember if he talked about how many women he had murdered, but he says that he still knows of a couple truckers that are still currently active. And it doesn't sound like he gave that information to police. So maybe he was just bragging, or maybe he's just a sick motherfucker who wants everybody to be scared, and that probably is what I would go with. I'm going to vote on the sick motherfucker one. Yeah. That one. <laughs> that one. All right. So I think we're going to wrap this one up for now. I think we this one's in the bag, bitches. Yeah. This one was, a, this one was heavy. Yeah. Motherfucker. Let's end it on a mm-hmm. light note, though. What do you say? Okay. Um. So I found this, besides the moose poop one, I found... <laughs> I was looking on Facebook and I found this little short blurb 
and I'll post a picture of this as well. But it says, in 1948, a man wore 30-pound, three-toed lead shoes and stomped around a Florida beach during the night. The footprints led people to believe that a 15-foot-tall penguin was roaming their lands. He, he kept up the prank for 10 years visiting various beaches, and the hoax wasn't revealed until 40 years later. Is that not crazy? Why? He wanted Why? to freak people out. He thought it was funny. Like, that sounds like something I would do. That's fucking awesome. For 40 awesome. years, though? Yeah. Yeah. Keep that secret for 40 years? I couldn't keep a secret for 40 he years. He kept it for 10 years. That's not true. I could keep a secret, but only because I have a really bad short-term memory and I immediately forget. Oh, no, 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 no. That's why I'm a really good person he, to tell secrets to. He did this for 10 years. The hoax wasn't revealed until 40 years later. That's what I'm saying. Keep a secret for 40 years? He That's did this for 10 years. <laughs> I wonder how often he did it. It's like his little morning that is ritual. So crazy. That is absolutely Was it just insane. in Florida? Uh, yeah, around a Florida beach. Yet Jesus another Christ. reason why Florida is seriously cray-cray. Fucking Florida. <laughs> Gotta love fucking Florida. Hashtag classic Florida. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, this is where we say goodbye for now. So long, farewell, folks. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our neat little show. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please shoot us an email. We love getting emails from you guys. In fact, I have a couple that we are going to read on the next show. Darcy, don't let me forget. Our okay. social media. What's our social media, Darcy? We are at the BFD podcast on the Twitters. And I think that's our same handle on Instagram, right? That is correct. All right. Please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild stuff. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your best life. Bye. See ya.